It makes them tell you what they're not telling you. As soon as you ask for money, if you're just price checking another quote they received, they have to either move on or go, hey, well, actually, my roommate in college is a builder, but he doesn't quite have the experience that you have. Now, if they would tell me that, Brad, I might still be willing to go, hey, why don't you pay me 1500 bucks and I'll spend three hours and I'll give you my critique of their proposal. But I'm not going to go spend a month of my time free if that job's not really available. They're not telling me the truth and I'm not agreeing to engage in that process because I don't have the facts. It, it makes them tell you what they're not telling you. Welcome to episode 137 of the Construction Podcast. And today our guest is Brady Fry from Nashville, Tennessee. And Brady is with Fry Classic Construction. And I've known Brady for quite some time. In fact, we just had the Coalition Summit and Brady was out there with us at the summit. And what I love is that Brady wanted to dive right into how do you get paid to plan? What does that mean? And setting those clear expectations with your client in the building process, and even more so strategic communication. There were so many nuggets that Brady shared from communication to expectations to having a strategy as you go into every project, that collaboration with the client, with the design team, to be successful in what we do. Amazing content and information Brady is a phenomenal builder in Nashville. Without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the APT Construction Podcast. We have Mr. Brady Fry with us today. Welcome, Brady. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> That's a, you know, in all these couple of years of doing this, the first time I've had someone... Uh, present themselves this way. That's, that's classic. And it couldn't be better from Fry Classic Construction over here. Well, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you, Brady. Brady and I go quite a ways back, you know, as you know, with many of our guests, we've been friends on Instagram for a while. However, I've been your operation there in Nashville, seen your products, seen your projects, super amazed. You've been here to Phoenix. We've even snuck out golfing when you were here. So yes. it, it's, it's long overdue that we've had you on the podcast. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to be here. So let's start with this. I know uh, a lot of, we spent a lot of time off air, you and I just discussing business and, you know, uh, sharing how we run things and just, you know, little insights to doing what we do. But one thing that's always intrigued me about you, Brady, is, uh, you know, you have this philosophy is uh, get paid to plan. What's that? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Brad. And um, it's, we identify in the construction industry, we kind of adopt this, this, this craftsman's mindset. And we don't really identify ourselves the same way other professionals and in other industries do. Um, a lot of times we kind of hang out and think that, uh, you know, we don't actually get paid until, a, you know, a project happens. And, you know, when I'm talking to young builders and they're going, oh, man, when did, when did things change for you? Or when did things start heating up? Or what was the big connection that you made that kind of changed everything without hesitation. I immediately say the pre-construction agreement. Now I even sometimes change how I label the pre-construction agreement. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it pre-construction, but any professional has a professional services agreement. In our industry, by the time we're involved in a job, the architect already has an agreement. The engineers have an agreement. The interior designers having agreement, the landscape architects have an agreement, and when we're attending attending meetings, they're being paid. We're typically um, the only people that are sitting there um, free, and so I really think this unlocks a lot of things in business. And I'll try to articulate those to you because there's a lot of different levels to this. One, um, the best customers 
expect to pay for service. You actually elevate your perception in the marketplace when you require people to pay for your time. Um, so the best customers, you know, um, are, are really respond to this. You know, even in, in, in industries, we assume um, sometimes that the fee for service actually gives us better service. So if you were interviewing a lawyer and he said, hey, man, I'm 800 bucks an hour, and you talk to another lawyer and they're 200 bucks an hour, you actually may associate um, better legal representation with a more expensive product. And so I think that we elevate ourselves in the mind of our customers. The second- well, it's interesting. Let me, yeah, before you get to point two, I, to break that down, Brady, I love that analogy with the legal counsel because there is some truth there that, yeah, there may be some clients that say, hey, I can't afford the 800, I'm going to 200. Totally makes sense, right? However, there is some truth there that that $800, there's experience, there's talent, there's network, there's uh, company organization behind them. I mean, there's a lot of things, that, the reason they can charge that. And and to your point, I remember speaking with some remodelers and early in my career, you know, especially, you know, doing remodels and, you know, we're not doing really any right now. I mean, we have a couple, but on the large scale, but where I'm getting at is that I know remodel companies, when they have the leads call in, they'll say, yeah, I'll come, but there's a fee, right? Here's right. my fee to come out and bid or meet with you. And really what ends up happening is you start attracting that ideal client, which is what you're speaking, Brady, is that now if you're charging them for that trip charge, essentially to come out there, they're skin in the game. They want to participate. They value that. And that's how you start really fine-tuning that client base. Absolutely. Um, it creates an element of scarcity. You know, um, hey, my time's valuable. I can't just give it away because it's limited. Um, it also activates... You know, I've noticed it activate this part of the brain. You know, it's why sometimes we're um, attracted to people that aren't attracted to us in our personal relationships. You know, we all like the girl who wouldn't pay any attention to us. And then maybe there was somebody who was interested in us and we weren't that interested in. So when somebody doesn't put all their cards on the table, um, it just activates that part of their brain that says there's value here. There's scarcity. Um, you know, one of the analogies that um, I like to mention, hey, if, if somebody called three architects and they call one architect and they say, hey, I would like to email you a set of plans and I'd like to see if you could get back to me in a couple of weeks uh, with a budget. And the first uh, contractor says, absolutely, I'll have it to you in two weeks and has a similar phone call with the same contractor. Um, second contractor, they have the identical conversation. Yeah, I'd love to. I'll have it to you in two weeks. And they call you or I or somebody who has a professional service agreement in place and say, hey, I'd be happy to kind of find out a little bit more about your project. But before I really can spend any meaningful time, it has to be, you know, we have to come to professional services agreement. Brad, it, it, it drives people crazy. I've never seen anything like it. Like, they want, what does this guy know that they don't know? It's, it's a great magnet. It's, it just activates that same part of the brain, like I say, that we, we, we realize in personal relationships. Um, it just, it's just an amazing tool. Also, you're talking about finding your ideal client. This is what it does. You're never going to find, you're never going to get a good job with a good budget if you're competitive bidding. If you're just papering your town with free estimates, it's always, you're usually competing on price and you're never going to get the best work if that's the basis for your competition. Um, and I would say, um, you know, we work, you and I both kind of work at kind of the higher ends of the market. You know, price isn't our client's number one um, value system e anyway. So why would we lead with that? It's my, probably three or four on my client's list. So why would I, why'd my price be my, you know, tip of the spear, my value proposition? Um, and, but it's just hard to do that if they're trying to 
you know, get three or four bids and then create some kind of Frankenstein estimate from the, you know, most favorable numbers in each cost category on documents that aren't standardized. So this is really key to finding the best clients. Well, it's interesting to that point, Brady. I mean, when you were talking about skin in the game and how not, not only for the client, but it puts us on that side. And, and I'll give a, a, one example here. Early in my career, again, you know, I had a client that was at the time looking at bidding out with a couple of GCs and he was a friend of mine. He wasn't doing a project with us, just it was out of state. And so he said, Brad, you know, it's interesting. He said, I had two GCs kind of just pure example, Brady, that I asked them to give a bid. They said, no problem. The third guy said, I'm going to charge you 10 grand for the bid. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, it's interesting. He said, I actually like that that they actually cared enough to ask because now I know they're vested. And you look at it from our side, for us, you know, we charge our clients for a bit if, you know, if, if, if that's the case, because there's a lot of time that goes into that. But the value there for the client is that if I'm being paid to present a proposal, I'm not going to wing it. I'm not just going to look at my database, especially now as cost fluctuates. Like there's some R&D, there's some, uh, you, you know, a lot of background work with our vendors and scope and diagnostics and Bluebeam and other things we're using. So then that way, the client that's investing in us, we're paying that forward to them. Yeah, you're absolutely on the right track on that. And I just think, you know, these are, are, are the fundamental things. You know, um, I was at my Builder 20 group and when everyone's going through talking about what's new and we're all catching up, everyone goes around the table and most people universally said, oh man, I can't, I can't even handle all the phone calls. There's too many phone calls. And I said, Oh man, you guys really, how many of you guys are using pre-construction agreements or professional services agreements? And I think almost none. And I'm like, guys, if you're too scared to do it now, like this is the filter. This is what's going to kind of sift through these, you know, huge numbers of phone calls that you're struggling to manage and identify the best clients. And they go, well, you can't do that in my market. And I would argue, um, that would be the best market. I mean, if everybody in your market's doing it, it's even harder to differentiate and become customary. If nobody's doing it, even better. How much easier is it to differentiate yourself if nobody's doing it versus everybody's doing it? So I would look at it, go, that's a perfect time. It's harder. If everybody's doing it, you got to find some other, you know, uh, playing field to, to kind of differentiate yourself from some of your competitors or other people that might be appropriate for that job. So even better, if they're not doing it in your market, <laughs> you really need to do it. So speaking of that, you know, is there a number? Is there a baseline? Is there a target, you know, where builders should be looking at this, um, you know, to, to work on that agreement, depending on the duration with the client? Is it an hourly? Is it a set fee? Well, we usually just have a, we have a fee and we've been slowly kind of ramping that up. Um you know, probably a lot of people that are listening to your podcast, some of these people are in the design build um, companies where they're actually producing drawings. We're, we're obvious, we're actually more of just professionally consulting at that point. Um, this is may lead us into a little bit different conversation, but one thing that I've eliminated from my professional services agreement is I used to say I had the word estimating was one of the services that we were going to provide as part of that pre-con. I've eliminated that. I'm not agreeing to estimate. I'm agreeing to provide a budget consultation. Um, so, you know, you can tailor the buffet of services and the associated fees for whatever you want. Mine are mostly 15,000, um, you know, is a, is a number. Um, our, our contract says, oh, if we sign a construction agreement, then 
um, you know, we'll credit credit this to the job, but it's not required. You've 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 done professional work. If you didn't want to do that, I think that's fine. We typically do it. It also says if we incur any expenses and producing samples or engineering or site visits, we can bill for those at our rate. So it's not limited. Um, um, so, you know, there's services that you can bid on, but we're not really doing anything creative at that point. One, I've kind of started to change my message a little bit. You know, a lot of the things that we talk about offline is how important communication is. And people think of communication as timing of the communication is I called somebody back immediately or I'm really quick to communication. And they're missing out on what are the value of the words they're communicating? And how are they using those values to create an opportunity to succeed? Not just, oh, I call this guy back quickly or I'm Johnny on the spot. But what words are you saying? What What's the language in your agreement? And how does that identify your best customer and give you a, a scenario? I always talk about the wide lane to succeed. I want a wide lane to succeed. I don't want to perch success on the head of a pen. <laughs> So let's let's communicate in a way that gives us a wide lane to succeed. And so in that professional um, service agreement, uh, you know, you can really kind of tailor it. I've kind of changed the message in that agreement where I used to say the purpose of my professional service agreement, Brad, was to secure that great job that I wanted to me. So I would say that person, I was trying to get that job off the street. I didn't want that bouncing around and one of my competitors or somebody go, oh, man, I hear this is great job going around over there. So I was trying to secure that job to me. I've kind of changed my communication and my professional services agreement. Now I say, hey, guys, I can tell you based on the number of inquiries I'm getting, all these houses aren't getting built. They're not getting built. There's not enough qualified contractors. So either some projects are not going to get built or they're going to get built by um contractors that may not be qualified to produce that level of work. When you sign this professional services agreement, I am allocating time on my calendar to build your project. So now I've even reversed the psychology. Instead of saying, hey, I want to get this great job off the street, I'm telling people, hey, you need to get me off the street. I'm getting more calls and houses I can build. So if you want to get me off the street, you better sign this agreement or your job isn't accounted for in my calendar. So that that that's fantastic, Brady. And let me ask you this: I mean, that that example you gave, where we need to be creating a wide lane for success, not just the tip of a pen. I mean, it's a great analogy there. But you know, as you approach clients and they're, for lack of a better word, cold calling you or reaching out to you, Brady, mm-hmm. how often do they push back? It do they push back saying, "Hey, I'm I'm hesitant to sign a PSA. I'm hesitant to just get on board with one contractor, you know, because this time old tell that I have to have three bits or whatever." I mean, how do you? You know, how do you navigate through that conversation with the client? Shockingly, very little. It's, 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 that's why I'm surprised because, you know, when I'm, you know, um, I'm a little older than some of my peers. And so some of the young builders, particularly in my Builder 20 group, call me and, oh, Brady, how did you do this? And I go, things that you're so stressed out about and you think aren't available to you, or you go, man, that's not available in my market. I have almost zero conversations about. I had, I have a, one of my, great employees I've hired in the last year. He's a general contractor. Um, you know, he was out on his own and and he's been an awesome hire for me. And I and he had a couple leads that he was still working when um when they came to me. 
when he started, you know, working for me full time and he said, Hey, I want you to meet some of these leads. And I said, Jason, I need to be clear. I'm offering a professional services agreement or I'm not wasting one minute on it. And I could see the anxiety on his face because he had been spinning his wheels for six months with these people. He felt this relationship and he's going, man, Brady's getting ready to go in and maybe, you know, ice this thing out a little bit or, you know, make it uncomfortable for him because he had this relationship he had and this rapport that he'd built and he felt like I was going to jeopardize it. I said, hey guys, man, Jason's such an awesome addition to my team. I'm glad to have him here. I need to tell you a little something about how we work. You know, other than this brief interview, we don't really can't spend any meaningful time without a professional services agreement. Here you go. Um, if you'd like to, for us to start, you know, consulting you. They wrote a check at the table and he, he was so stressed. It was a, it, it was it was a zero for them. They, they understood it. They probably wondered why he had been spending six months and hadn't requested, you know, any money for his time. So um, it really. The hurdle is very low. Anybody who's reluctant to do it, you know, um, after you do it and you see the results, Brad, I couldn't get work when I was giving away free work. It's counterintuitive. And people who go, I don't have any work. I can't afford to do that. You're getting more incoming phone calls than you can manage. I wasn't when I started doing this. I was not. Um, and it took a lot of courage. A couple of times, you can imagine, I got invited to a meeting with an architect. And I thought, man, this architect I've got my professional services agreement here, but I'm afraid that they're going to be like, man, I invite Brady to this meeting. Now he's immediately shaking down my customer for money. <laughs> and I just assumed they would be adverse to it. But I said, you know what? I've kind of planted my flag. This is how I operate. I said, hey, I need to let you know kind of where we go from here. Um, if you want to continue this conversation, I'd love to. Here's my professional services agreement. And afterwards, I was kind of, you know, having the debriefing with the architect. He goes, he goes man, I love it. Do you think I want to sift through five bids? They go out and get a bunch of bids, and then who do they want to sift through them? Me. He's like, yep. great. Get them saddled up with you. I know you'll deliver. So, again, don't assume that your architects or people that refer you, and if they are, I mean, again, you're not asking them to work free. I Can love you that. imagine Brad calling one of your architect partners and saying, hey, man, I got this great job for you. I need you to design. I'm going to have five architects design a, uh, you know, a house, a schematic. We like schematic design and a fee schedule for five architects. And then we're going to pick one. And the, and the reality is, look, they're being paid. I mean, the, there, there's value that the architect and designer are bringing, the landscape architect, and they're being paid for those services. They're involved. Do you, uh, how, I don't want to say in the weeds, but how much do you define scope or what does it entail? If I'm a customer coming to you, Brady saying, okay, I'm signing a pre-construction. I totally get it. 15 grand, 25 grand. No problem. I understand the time. Is there a certain amount of hours you're including? Is it pretty open to say, hey, throughout the you know, pre-con phase? It's, it's pretty open. And because we're applying it to the job, they're not in incredible jeopardy um, by, by paying that fee. It's essentially a prepayment. And imagine, Brad, if, if, if there's a product or a service that we intend to buy, we'd have no problem. You know, um, imagine, you know, the vehicle market's pretty tight and you want to go buy a new truck and you call your, your dealer and you say, hey, man, I want one of those new, uh, pretty uh, Ford F-150 uh, Limiteds like Brad has. That thing's pretty sharp. <laughs> and you get these, oh, man, those are hard to get. It's going to take you seven months to get one of those. And he goes, and he goes great. Yeah, go ahead and order it. And he goes, hey. These are in such short, short supply, I need you to write a $10,000 deposit. 
If you wanted the truck, you'd go, no problem. Now, if all you wanted to do was get a quote on price so you could call another dealer, then you then you would start hedging, wouldn't you? But if yep. you had to buy the truck, what do you care about paying 10 grand for? Yep. It, it makes you tell, this is important, Brad. It makes them tell you what they're not telling you. As soon as you ask for money, if you're just price checking another quote they received, they have to either move on or go, hey, well, actually, my roommate in college is a builder, but he doesn't quite have the experience that you have. Now, if they would tell me that, Brad, I might still be willing to go, hey, why don't you pay me 1500 bucks and I'll spend three hours and I'll give you my critique of their proposal. But I'm not going to go spend a month of my time free if that job's not really available. They're not telling me the truth and I'm not agreeing to engage in that process because I don't have the facts. It, it makes them tell you what they're not telling you. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love earlier in the conversation, just a couple minutes ago, you had mentioned that, you know, that even with the architects, you know, you had a little bit of fear of the architects bringing you in and you're bombarding the client, right? With documentation to get started. But the architect likes that. And what I found too, especially with a lot of the, you know, the caliber of architects and designers we're work with, working with, they're, they're preaching the same thing. They're like, look, for us to design appropriately within budget and, you know, we, we need the builder on board to consult with, you know, for architectural reasons, for interior design purposes. There's so many things that the builder has to know or sign off on or say, yeah, this is feasible within the budget because at the end of the day, like we're responsible for that, right? We're the steward of the yeah. client's investment there. And so, you know, being that you're involved early, how has that changed your relationship in pre-con with the design team? How, not only in pre-con, but how does that now constitute the success of the project moving forward once you, you know, break ground? Good question. You know, um, you know, I talk about this wide path to success. And I think a lot of times, even, you know, when you use a pre, the term pre-con or estimate or budget, you know, Brad, we feel like that we have to answer questions earnestly and in the form that they were presented. So for instance, you know, we get the question all the time, hey, Brad, what does it cost to build per square foot in your market? Right. Yeah. And usually what people do now, there could be a range of answers. We Again, we did this at my Builder 20 and guys, two things were generally happening with people, Brad. There's a group of people that said, every house is different and I'm saying nothing. Okay. And then there's another group of people that were thinking about their last project, how many square feet it was, getting out their calculator on their phone. What I'm saying is divorce yourself from the number. Let's not, you think you have to do the math and deliver a number based on the way that question was presented to you. And what I'm saying is when you strategically answer that number in a way that makes it easy for you to succeed. Um, this is a little bit you know, uh, this I'm, I haven't attended any formal sales training, but this is a concept that I learned from Sean Van Dyke. Sean's a great guy. You and I both know him. Sean's done some coaching for me, and it's a concept called anchor pricing. Well, we all anchor our price, but some of us anchor our price low and we drown. We anchor the price too low and these jobs get stuck. And then we end up managing all the disappointment and rebudgeting and re-reporting. Well, why don't you just anchor your price high? Don't worry about what the price per square foot was on the job that you just completed, even if it was under similar circumstance. If you were building in Silverleaf and somebody bought the lot next door, so it was a similar house in very similar, um, very similar conditions, and they asked you what that was price per square foot, you're not required to answer based on what the square footage was for the neighboring house. 
you can answer that. You can anchor that price, deliberately anchor it high to give your, yourself an opportunity to succeed. That's and phenomenal. That's what you should do. Yeah, and I love that. I mean, I've never heard that term anchor. You know, anchor pricing right is a higher low. And the reality is because at times, you know, the funny thing is, and and we're all this way, right? That when we'll meet with the client, and even if they're interviewing you, Brady, and saying, okay what's the budget and you're trying to help them or give them, you know, a database based on other projects you have. They always hear the low price, not the high one. You may say I could be at, you know, 300 a foot to 700 foot, whatever that is. They're going to hear a 300 and be like, what is happening? You know, so we're getting to design. But to your point, it's really, this goes back to really successful relationship is setting good expectations. And so if you're anchored and realistic, especially with how the market can fluctuate, then it puts you in a better position where you're not, um, you know, not a tough position where you can't perform. But think about the strategy, not the answer. I, I talk about this all the time. How, in terms of how we communicate, what's the strategy? We always think about what the answer is or what the data is. And I'm saying you have to separate your mind and go, what response helps identify my uh, ideal client and, and, and allows me to get to the finish line and you know be sitting there popping the cork on the champagne, getting the hugs and the tears when the wife moves in. She's so overjoyed to see this dream manifested. And there's ways that you can do that. And so one of the dialogues that I have, Brad, and I, I don't even mind sharing it with you. And some people that use me might even hear this, this, and it's, it's all fine. People will go, Brady, what does it cost to build in your market? We did again, another exercise we did at our builder 20. And I go, Oh, about 750 a square foot plus um, about 30% above that for landscapes, hardscapes, and drainage. Brad, do you know how many houses I've built for $750 a foot? Zero. <laughs> Zero. Some people immediately go, oh man, we're, we're way off. So the question I'm always asking myself with my communication, now imagine that we set a number. So Brad, let's say in your market, you said 300. You'd go, everybody's going to hire Brad at 300. The problem is you can't build everybody's house. Well, an, an equally big problem would be if you had a number that nobody would take, right? So we, two problems can happen. Everybody's a big problem and nobody's a problem. So our communication should be tailored at identifying somebody, somebody, not nobody and not everybody. And so I have plenty of people that I'll say that number. I don't go, oh, the last one I finished was about 550. The last one I finished, Brad, was about 550. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the communication because what I'm trying to do is use my communication to identify my ideal client and give me a wide path to success. If I finish that, they've already continued the conversation at 650. Also, at the higher price points, they're trying to validate, you know, it's really not about the price. It's really, it's really more about the expectation. A person, there's no $10 million mortgage. There's no $20 million mortgage. So these people that are having the conversations are, they've got the money. They're trying to decide how much of it they, they want to apply to this job. And so use that communication and think strategically, you know, kind of divorce yourself from what the number is and think about how you can communicate to get to the finish line um, and create that wide level, that wide lane of success to the finish line. And I battle that some internally, you know, my estimating purchasing department here argues with me all the time because all they want to know is what the number is. I go, stop thinking about the number. Stop thinking about the number. Let's set some expectations where we can be successful. 
So it's interesting. And, and, and for as long as I've known you, I mean, something that you're big on is communication, of course, and, you know, strategic communication. So is this what you define? I've heard you use that term before, strategic communication. Is it in regard to, you know, just pricing and vetting clients as it has to do like during the duration of the build? It's regards, it's regarding everything. It's regarding everything. What if you walk on a job site and um, your client says, hey, man, Brad, how's your weekend? Is the most important thing they want to know how your weekend is? They're just being conversational. What if you thought, well, what are their needs? What do they really want to know about? You go, man, I had a great weekend, spent some time with the kids, but man, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't wait to get back over here on Monday. Does that uplift your client? Do they really want to know how your kid's soccer game went? You know, they don't. So why don't you simply, <laughs> I mean, they're being nice. They're being Yeah, quiet. totally. I, but I understand the context. Yeah. Well, what if you just turned, you started thinking, well, hey, how can I turn this to talk about what they want to talk about or make them think, you know, hey, man, you know, anything for you, you're my number one client. You're my number one client. They're all my number one clients because I love them. I want to deliver for them. So I think we get really casual with things. You know, um, I, I saw your, um, I saw your, uh, I think you had a little reel with some of the common questions that we get all the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, you know, um, a while back, uh, um, you and I were on a, um, on a, uh, what was it? Hey, by the way, what's that, that app that, uh, the chat app that was out? Oh Yeah. Ago? Which was Clubhouse. 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 Is this little thing? Yeah, I Clubhouse. I was like, oh, Brad's doing Clubhouse. It must be cool. I'll find out what this is. <laughs> and I jumped into Clubhouse and, you know, we were getting that old question of, well, hey, if I change the scope or I, I decide I want to spend more money, do I have to pay your markup? And the person that was kind of monitoring that conversation went into this big extended conversation about warranty and all that. I go, hey, man, the answer is really simple. We have a cost plus agreement. We have a cost plus agreement, you know? And so I can say things, you can say things. Some of the things I might even share here, you go, Brady, that sounds kind of snarky. What's the response that you get? But, you know, imagine, you know, we start these projects. I'm a cost plus builder. I think you're doing more cost yep. plus work now, but we'll get two thirds the way through the project. And what's the question we get two thirds away the contract through the process, uh, the project. How much is it going to cost to finish? And I go, I can tell you. And they look, you can tell me. And I go, yeah, all the costs plus our markup exactly like it was. <laughs> now, that might sound snarky, um, Brad. I say it with a smile on my face. I kind of use a little bit of personality and humor. But what I'm saying Most is Southern charm. In an agreement. We sign an agreement. Now, what did I do? Um, you know, like you, I'm a little bit more detached from all the day to day stuff. But when I was the one man superhero, I was going back to my office. I was spending 30 hours trying to monitor what agreements were partially paid and try to create this number. And so what was I doing? I was taking a cost plus agreement and I was converting it to a fixed price. Why? Why would I do that? Why would I? So then what would happen is I'd project a number. Hey, based on this 20 hours I spent analyzing your numbers, it's 250000 then it comes in at 275 or whatever the number is. And then they think they're being gracious. They go, well, I'm going to pay the 250, but I can't pay that 25. I'm not paying you. Because you, you said expectation. Why did you convert your cost plus job to a fixed cost job 80% of the way through the job? Just remind them. I can tell you exactly. I can say, hey, the best information I have, if you look at your co-construct, your budget, it's not perfect, but that's the best. We try to keep it up to date, but that's probably the best information I can give you right now. But 
you know, just remind them, remind them, hey, we're on a cost plus agreement. Why would you negotiate yourself? You know, same conversation that the day after you get that conversation, when are we going to get done? When are we going to get done? And then you're setting timelines, which maybe you can complete or not. And, I, you know, the, the schedule one is really important because the fine line there is the builders, you know, building custom homes in the market we're in, and it doesn't matter if it's right now where it's a little hectic to build a house or years past, there's still a lot of work that goes into finishing a project. And we have to be sensitive that the clients may be selling a home or maybe relocating or they may be in a rental month to month. Understand, right? But we should, you know, at least say, look, within 60 days, then we can give you a final number. Or maybe it's at a certain stage. And the reason I'm, I'm a lot more reluctant now, and not reluctant, I mean, we communicate and we have look-aheads and we still have a goal. Like before I give my ex- example here, Brady, is that we have a client right now that's a two-year build. They're from the Midwest and he's strategizing. We sat down and we said, look, client, our goal is next March, you're going to be done. And I think it's achievable. I think we're going to get there. But, you know, understand the high level here that we're not, you know, this isn't hold our feet to the fire based on what we're tracking. We're a year into this. We have a year left. We're ahead of schedule. We're looking good, but you never know, right? But that's a goal line. So it's not like we're just leaving dark. However, to make a client happy, we we had a client, pretty well-known client here in town. Um, and he had a, an issue at his house. We came in to help fix it. It was a, a big issue, an insurance claim. We came to fix it. And he was kind of stressed because of the insurance claim. Long story short, we tried to be the heroes. He's like, hey, I want to be in by Christmas. We committed to be in by Christmas. And I shouldn't have done it because then now we became the enemy the whole time. And it was just a deadline that we couldn't complete. And there's just no way. And it really became tenacious with that client. And how do I sat back and said, look, I understand why I'm being Christmas, but based on the start date, based on when insurance approvals came in, you know, cabinetry could be made, all these things. We have milestones here. We're not going to be done. And really it gives back to your statement of strategic communication is that we, we really set it up for failure because we weren't up front with him. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build a Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build a Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, 
all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. But what if you communicated early? You know, we made a company-wide policy. We do no move-ins between Thanksgiving and New Year's. Exactly. And that's an SOP thing, and that's really where we're at now. I mean, and I'm on... I love that you said that, Brady, because every company should do that. I know for designers, it's a little bit more difficult because there may be furnishings and end-of-year stuff. But for us builders, we strategically don't try to close anything between Christmas or Thanksgiving and New Year's. Uh, it, yeah, because it's impossible. Our designers are relieved, be honest with you. I think they appreciate that we kind of dove on that grenade so they didn't <laughs> have to because they, yeah. they want to say that, but maybe they lack the candor or confidence <laughs> to draw that line. And we go, hey, listen, we all have families. And again, market conditions might change and somebody might say, hey, you know, you get one lead every six months and you got to have that job. And somebody says, hey, you know, here's a deal, you know, um, I'll hire you. And, but I, I need to, I'm, I, I might be moving in Christmas Eve. You might, you might alter your policy based on the market conditions. But right now when there's a scarcity of, of um, qualified builders, I think that you can, you can, you know, identify the kind of the rules that you're going to play by and they get, you know, we have families as well. I mean, you've got a big family, you got young kids, you know, last thing you want to be doing is, um, you know, stressing out your wife and your family and not be present. Because, you know, somebody's trying to get in. It's it's your holiday too. That's what I say. People go, hey man, can you do this during spring break? I'm like, well, it's our spring, it's our spring break too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so um I think I think again, if you communicate that the right way, they ultimately get it. They so, do. And 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 what you said here, I think the most valuable thing too, Brady, is is really it's best practice. And what that means is that we all have our operating procedures. Hey, we're not closing any project you know, Thanksgiving and New Year's, you know, we're not, um, gonna bid a project unless we have a PSA or, you know, but that's best practice. But there are occasions where we may say, okay, on a special circumstance or, you know, then we may apply that, but we should still have some baseline as a company, our SOP, our standard operating procedures that we live and die by that are best practice. And on occasion, we may step out of that boundary for a special unique thing, but we have to be cautious in how many times we do that. That should be rare or it's not a SOP. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it should be rare. It doesn't mean never, but it should be rare, you know? And so one thing that I would say, Brad, um, that you mentioned, I just feel like you should never negotiate against your agreement. You should never put yourself in a weaker position after the contract is signed, You're, you know? And so we had a great project. And if you look at my Instagram, it's this beautiful house I finished, you know, homeowners are hugging me, wife's crying, dream manifest, you know, everything's great. Love these people. So we still ended up finishing great. I, I have a personal relationship with them outside of building, 
but uh, I made a mistake and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't communicate strategically because I let my guard down a little bit because of the personal relationship. And man, like the stars all kind of aligned when we were getting this job out of the ground. This is before lumber was impossible to get windows were impossible to get. So it was a little bit less challenging part. Well, my framer, this house was so big and had three big sections and he had like a hole in his workforce and he bought three crews. One crew frame, framed the main part of the house, you know, floor to ceiling. The other crew framed these large wings. This, I had four months on the calendar to frame this house. These guys framed it in like 31 days. It was insane. They just killed it for me. And, and I said to my client, I said, we're killing it. We're killing it. This, this is just going so good. And he goes, really, what do you think? I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done early. I'm going to be done early. Uh, I'm going to be done by the end of the year next year. Wrong answer. Wrong <laughs> answer. I had my contract April 22nd. I had 24 months. By the way, just something to mention, Brad, in your contract language, set a datum. Don't, don't have the date of your, that the clock starts be the date you get permits, the day you sign the contract. Put something that's re related to the actual production because so many times we have a permit or we sign a contract, but there's something the architect hasn't delivered something that eats three months out of our contracts. These long projects that you and I have, they don't remember that in two years. So right. I would say from mass excavation, have the start date of your contract and the clock starts at ex mass excavation or excavation. So the, the clock doesn't start till this job started in earnest. And so um, if there's something that prohibits that permitting uh, design, um, you know, don't give up three months. Don't start three months behind. So anyway, um, so I had till April 22nd of 2022 to finish this project. Well, I just gave myself a four month haircut. And honestly, it was unfair to the project manager. It was unfair. You know, I made it tough for him to succeed. Here's a guy killing it. And the homeowners are great. I love them. They were so great to us, Brad. I can't even, I don't want to say anything that makes it sound like they were tough or unreasonable. They were, they weren't, they were just excited. They wanted to get in their house. They wanted to get in by Christmas and they couldn't, we got in, um, in January, but imagine if I just had said, I thought a little bit more strategically. Mm -hmm. And when he I said, he's, well, how long is it going to take? I go 100% of the contract, maybe longer. I'm never going to give up a day that's in the contract. It may require more. So strategically there's two answers, ask Brady or, <laughs> all the time that's in the contract <laughs> and maybe more. Those are the only two answers. Everything else is, you know, uh, because it's, it's, it's again, allowing me to be successful. I deprived my uh, project manager of four months that he could have utilized. Um, I could have still got him in early. Um, and it been, Oh man, man, great. We're in two months early and still giving him another month, you know? So I, I just really don't believe that you should in the middle of a project, create an agreement lesser than the one that you agreed to before the job started. Yeah, that's such sound advice, Brady. So how do you, I, I know you have a lot of experience. You've been doing this for quite some time. And so it really helps as you kind of learn the mistakes, the issues, you know, really communicate to clients as strategic communication. But the reality is, despite that, you still have conflict. You still have, you know, tough conversations, the anxiety of having these, you know, uh, th this communication what do you recommend to prepare for tough questions? What do you recommend, you know, for a client that is upset or irate, you know, just as, um, you know, how do you bridge that with the client? 
Well, there's a few things I do. If I know I'm going into a tough conversation, the first thing I do, Brad, and is I just I mentally kind of galvanize myself and I say, "Don't get angry." Like, like no matter what happens, like I just can't I can't get angry because sometimes these things get passionate, particularly if the homeowner starts getting angry. You know, you and and so first of all, if you're right, why are you angry? And you know, I, I have this saying, Brad. You and I both like to golf. In business and in golf, the first person that gets angry usually loses. So if you know you're playing a little, you know, little bet with your buddy, and he's chucking his his uh, driver on the third tee, oh, how glorious! I'm getting ready to win. We got 15 holes to play, and this guy's already mad. By the way, Brad, I might be chucking my my driver on the. <laughs> I'm going to see how oh. mad you get in Nashville when I'm out there. Yeah. But if you can just maintain that composure and that professional, hey, if you're wrong, just say you're wrong. Go, you know what? I got to, I, don't be afraid to say you're wrong. It, it immediately takes all the emotion out of the conversation. Say, you know what? That's a great point. That's unacceptable. Um, I'm going to get engaged and um, correct that. Just say you're wrong. It takes the emotion out of it. If you're right, you can say, hey, man, it's unfortunate you feel that way. But I would like to, I would like to point, you know, when I gave you that date, we had this deadline. I, I have, this customer's great. We're not having a problem, but. I called one of my customers last year and I said, hey, man, we have got to get our cabinets um, designed and on a calendar. 2022 is going to be busier than 2021. There's no signs of things slowing down. I need to be on the calendar for a fabricator next year if you want to think about getting in in 2023. I have to order these cabinets by the end of 2021. It's April and we haven't ordered them. So. Um, not, not, we didn't drop the ball. It's, you know, the designer that's involved just hasn't produced the required information to place the order. Well, if we were having a conversation about timeline or moving dates, I would say, Hey, let's, let, let's go back and look at the record. Well, here's where we missed a, a deadline by four months. So you, and you can utilize some of your technologies to kind of communicate for you. You know, sometimes we'll just go into, um, co-construct and wind up the estimated days to completion, you know, somebody goes, they get that alert that we've changed the completion date and they go, Oh, what's, what's going on? You say, well, um, it can be for any reason. It can be that they missed a deadline. They didn't pay an invoice, you know, whatever, or, um, you know, you gave them a task and they didn't complete and, and, and you can utilize your technology to communicate for you, but, you know, keep your composure, man, I'll write down a few points I want to make or I'll, I mean, I get prepared. I don't walk in cold and just think I'm going to wing it and handle it. But I try to have a calm, professional demeanor. I try to think about, anticipate what I think the nature is of the conversation. Sometimes I know, sometimes I don't know. If I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. If I'm, if I'm not wrong, I try to, you know, again, communicate in a way that connects some dots for them mentally where they, it, 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 we gain trust. We increase our relationship. It, it, it's not devastating the relationship, you know? So I think, I think both things can be achieved. Yeah. That's really good advice, Brady. It's, it's funny because I, um, there's a mentor of mine, Dave Clark, who I had on for my hundredth episode and, um, you know, have, having shadowed him and been around him in some of these high level meetings. And then also, you know, just in business, right. There's, there's people that drop the ball. There's people that miscommunicate. There's, you know, there's tough conversations that we all have to have. And, it was interesting seeing him that I'd never, I've never really seen him lose his cool, get emotional. As you mentioned, it's uh he was never angry. And what's interesting is even on the really, really hard conversations where, you know, there was one where there was um, 
a, a long story short, an employee that had to be terminated on another division we have. And, and to see how he handled that, where he went in and it was just, hey, you know, he was super, um, the, the person had done some things and weren't ethical. So there's, you know, some heavy, it's a heavy conversation. And he came in and it wasn't angry. It wasn't emotional. It was just, hey, how's it going, Brady? How you doing? You know, and it was very soft. We got into, you know, the meat of it and, and it was very uh, non-confrontational, if you will. And I, I found that a lot of times, you know, as we handle that, maybe a smile on our face or maybe just this, you know, listen, you know, we want to make sure we're listening, but we don't have to get emotional. And I, you know, I know a lot of lawyers will recommend that they say, hey, if you're, you know, trying to um, get through a tough conversation, you don't have to sit here and be emotional about it. You can listen, you can repeat what they're saying. It doesn't mean you agree with them. But to your point, Brady, you come in prepared, you come with the facts, you stay to the point and not let the emotions get the best of you. Yeah. And you know, there's a book and I read this, gosh, probably 20 years ago, it's called Fierce Conversations. And I don't remember a lot about the book, but I'll remember one key. And you can ask a really difficult question. And when you, again, take the emotion or the judgment out of that question, it gives somebody space to answer it. And I'll give you an example. I was interviewing for a guy, owned some real estate offices at the time, and I was hiring a team leader. And I met this guy and I called around and I got three references and all three people said negative. I really liked the guy. I, I liked him. But then I called and got some references and I got three negative pieces of feedback. Now, we tend to assume there's truth. And they, were, they may, there may have been truth there. But I said, hey, Lincoln, I, I just want to ask you. And I just the way I phrased it, my tone, I didn't say, hey, dude, man, you have a terrible Man, your reputation is <laughs> terrible. That's kind of put some horsepower and some validity behind the feedback I got. I said, hey, Lincoln, man, we've had such a great time. I called a couple of people and, you know, I got to be honest with you. I got I got a couple of things. It, it, and gave him, I didn't assume that it was true. And I gave him some room to answer it. And I would say it really developed. It it, it created trust. It created candor. I, I didn't go in, you know, all gunslinging. Uh, and he he actually had a really awesome answer. He said, hey, man, I've been in this the same city my whole life. Some people know me from when I was an elementary school student, and I'm carrying baggage on something I did on the playgrounds. I've been in other businesses that weren't successful. I've had some successes. I have some failures. And I get judged by this whole body of work. You know, in 30 years, I've lived in this same city. So he, he, had, he had a great answer, and we got through it. But I didn't, I didn't interject that judgment, that emotion. Um, I just gave him space to answer it, and he actually hit it out of the park. It was awesome um, for us to build it because I kind of eliminated the emotion and the judgment and just gave him room to provide an answer, you know? It's amazing how much more successful conversation communication is when, when you um, aren't emotional, right? When you don't allow that and it, it stays high level. I, I know you've brought up, you know, the tenets of storytelling. What's that? Yeah. So I really, it's kind of interesting, Brad, and you unknowingly were a little bit a part of this journey. And, um, I was listening, you know, I was listening to, um, I've got to know Aaron Witt. I yep. heard him on your podcast. And then like two weeks later, he moved to Nashville. I get coffee and I was like, wait a minute, there's a build Witt truck. And I'd recognize him for the little pick on your thing. I was like, Hey, you Aaron. He's like, yeah. I was like, Hey, I'm a buddy of Brad's. I heard you on his podcast a couple weeks ago. He's like, yeah. I was like, what are you doing in Nashville? He's like, oh, I moved my business here. I just asked my employees where do you want to move? We all moved here. And so Aaron, <laughs> as you know, is a remarkably intelligent guy. Right. And Aaron said, hey, I'm not a photographer. I don't have any photography credentials. I'm a storyteller. I'm trying to bring storytelling to the excavation industry because nobody wants to go drive dump trucks and heavy iron 
But the the old guys who've been running these businesses for 50 years have no clue and they can't attract talent. And so it's just kind of burning in the back of my head, storytelling, storytelling. And I had heard somebody had shared with me some time and it really wasn't that interesting to me at the time that we have a, um, a business leader in our market that has a company called StoryBrand. And, and so like, sometimes I'll just hear key words and my mind will go, wait, what, what? I keep story, story. And even in my personal life, in my friend group, like I'm the storyteller, I'm the guy that, you know, kind of, you know, tells all of the great things that we did with hyperbole and makes them a little <laughs> bit more fun and a little more fantastical. So I'm going, wait a minute, storytelling, storytelling. Well, first of all, um, I don't mean storytelling in the nature of traditional storytelling in that we go, you know, how did you get to construction? Well, let me take you back to the 1800s. My great grandfather, that's <laughs> not what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's the opposite of what I'm talking about. So good stories, um, they have characters, they have heroes, they have villains, they have gods, they have stakes, right? And so anytime you see a great movie, all these characters, there's, I think, you know, this goes way back in time. There's maybe six um, general premises to stories that that um, go all the way back to like Aristotle. I mean, these things are the the guy here in Nashville, Don Miller, who's I think the Jedi of this idea of storytelling as it pertains to reaching out to your customers. He's just so gifted, um, but he didn't invent it. These premise, these tenets of storytelling are centuries old, and so um, what we do wrong as as builders, I think we do it the worst. I think everybody does it, but I think we do it the worst, which is in this story that we're trying to project to our customers, we're the hero. But in traditional tenets of storytelling, heroes are weak. The strong person in a great story is the guide. Luke Skywalker's weak, right? Luke Skywalker, he doesn't know if he can tap into the force. He doesn't, Yoda's strong. Or, you know, so again, fantastical movie. How's that pronate? But, but, but this person serves as the guide who, who leads the, um, the, the ultimate hero, right? The end of the great movie is Luke destroying the Death Star because he, 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 he tapped into the force. He found his energy. He's the hero of the story because he got the information. He was guided by this powerful figure who had the information to solve his problems. And when we're communicating to our customers, we need to be doing it the same way um, that any great story is crafted. I'll give you a, a couple of bad examples. And I'm not great at this, Brad. This has been a journey. Like I'm super passionate about it, but it's, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm great at it. I'd love to take some time off and just master this. Cause I think it's the way when I heard this, I was like, man, this guy's right. This guy, this isn't only good, it's truth. It's like how it is. And anybody, so I'll give you a couple examples. We want to be the hero. So we say these things, 150 years of combined experience. What does that even mean? (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Like, does that solve anybody's problems? 150 years experience. Premier, premier builder, Nashville's premier custom home builder. Well, when you ask somebody, hey, like, what problem do you have? Uh, I'm trying to hire Premier. Like, <laughs> is people searching for, when people are, are they getting out their Google? Or are they going, oh, I need somebody who's more prestigious. No, they're looking for a guide. You know, so if you said, um, hey, what do you do? I, I, I build custom single family homes in North Scottsdale. I have a problem. I need to find somebody that builds single family homes in North Scottsdale. Right. So 
Um, you want to be the guide. And then by affiliating with you, um, they get to be the hero. So, um, and, and you can pull this up. You, sh- you can go to look up anything Don Miller does because the guy's brilliant. But you can go to mystorybrand.com and um, he's got this free brand script. And it's awesome, Brad. You'll just love it. Go do this. Everybody who's listening, if you're a builder, you're a tradesperson, whatever business you own, do this. So you fill out this thing and it's like this giant Mad Lib. And you have, and, and he's got these accompanying videos, so it makes it really easy for you. But you identify a character. What does the character want, right? So what does the character want? Um, who are the villains? Maybe the villains are unqualified or unscrupulous builders in the Scottsdale area. So you want to identify the builders. Identify some stakes. Um, they meet a guide, Brad Levitt, the king of Silverleaf and North Scottsdale, <laughs> who has empathy about the problem that they're trying to solve. He has authority and expertise to solve that problem. He identifies the process, right? I'm going to have a pre-construction agreement. I'm having a budget meeting. Um, we're going to go through a build cycle that ends in success at the end of the day. So you're, 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 you're starting a story loop for this person. It's not the story of grandpappy and the still back in the 1800s in the moon. It's, it's, Using your communication to open a story loop that ends in success with you, Brad Levitt, or um, Ashley Levitt and her design business serving as the guide. You're the guide. But we all want to be the hero. And we tell people that things that they're meaningless, they don't solve problems, and people filter them out. Um, One of the great, powerful examples that um, he uses, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be political. I just, this is a really easy thing to understand about how we're, people want to solve their problems. Your customers aren't here to um, build the prestige of AFT construction. AFT is here to solve your customers' problems. So in the political arena, it was very clear, and Don shares this as one of his great examples, and I thought it was really awesome. He said, what was Donald Trump going to do? And everybody knows because it was so such, he's going to make America great again. Make America great again. Make America great again. Okay. Everybody knows it, whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump, no problem. But we all knew what very concisely what he wanted to do. Well, what did Hillary Clinton want to do? Her slogan was, I'm with her. Well, the constituency isn't there to help her reach her aspirational goals of being the president. He said, this might have been a way to speak to the needs of her constituency if she just could have altered her political message to say, she's with me. Think of the change in power. She's saying, I'm not the hero, I'm the guide. Hey, constituents that are, um, I can appeal to, I'm here to help you solve your economic, social, political problems. I'm here to help you reach your aspirations. So I think we misidentify, we, all, we, we think we want to be the hero, but the hero is weak. The guide is the one that's powerful and is the more skillful that you get as presenting yourself as the guide, um, the more successful you're going to be. Tune into Don Miller a little bit. He'd be a great guest for the podcast if you could get him. The guy is just so wise. Um, but he talks in these these brand scripts. But I, I think I didn't finish that story. If you go to his and fill out this, you identify these characters. It's like this gigantic Mad Lib. And you read it and you're like, like a lot of the dialogue's all already in there. You're just plopping in these and you're like, holy cow, that's amazing. You know, um, I'll tell you, you and I both know him. So I'll, I'll bring this up to you. I'll tell you somebody who does this really well. Um, cause I'm not great at, I love it, but I don't feel like I'm great at it. Sean Van Dyke talks in brand scripts. If you see Sean Van Dyke promoting his, his, um, uh, 
what the uh, what's his academy? The um, better built, built academy. Sean, build sorry, better Sean. academy or better built academy? The, the the built to build academy. Yeah, built to build academy. I believe. Sorry, Sean. Sean's awesome. <laughs> Sean follows Don Miller. When you see Sean do one of his promos, the first thing he does is identify the problem. Hey, you're not getting paid enough. So he's identifying the problem, creating some stakes, and then he says, "Hey, man, I'm the guide." Sign, then he creates some scarcity. Again, he's selling. He's not just consulting. He's going, hey, man, go ahead and get on the list. Get a pre-sale. There's some scarcity involved. And I'm going to help you reach your aspiration of being a more profitable contractor. Or um, so, um, so, And I know, Sean, because, again, we're friends. I know he's modeled that from um, Don Miller. And it's just so powerful. And it's something that all of us can use, um, you know, because people, Don likes to say, people... They want to survive. And so as you communicate to them, they're immediately filtering out the nonsense, and they're, but they're hanging on to the part, you know, um, uh, and, and you can just keep it, you know, keep it simple, speak to their needs, present yourself as the, as the solution. You know, and it's interesting, Brady, I've never heard the term, the guide, right? You want to be the guide, but you think about how important that is. I mean, when you talk about the tenets of storytelling, right, but the, the key to marketing is an emotional connection. What's that emotional journey? You got to create the emotional journey. That's what attracts people to your business, right? And I, I've talked about this before. Brian Harris, who's one of my clients, I've had him on the podcast. He does veneers. He's tremendously successful. And I feel he's nailed the emotional journey better than anyone I've ever met. And what he does is he shows somebody who didn't want to smile at a wedding or a birthday or been self-conscious. They buy their plane ticket. He shows them flying to Phoenix. They do their you know, they come into his lobby and there's a big sign that says building confidence, right? And then they go through it, they get their veneers, and then he shows them with this huge smile and radiant smile. And now they're so confident, it's totally changed their appearance. They're at weddings, you know, they're at mm-hmm. birthdays, and now they're so confident. And so this emotional connection where it's like, I want that. I want, I want this confidence. I want to be to have this. And it's and and but that's just the marketing side. But to your point, Brady, what I've never thought the guide from the builder side is that, yeah, how many times do we hear People say, well, the, the client didn't make the decisions. So yeah, we're framing and you know, when should they make the selections? Well, why are we waiting to this point? Like you're the guide. You need to set, the client doesn't understand the build process. We do. They, they may be excited. Hey, let's hurry and demo this house on a remodel. Well, let's wait. Let's, let's wait to demo until we've selected cabinetry and finishes because our job is to guide you through this to make this a pleasurable experience, right? Saving marriages one house at a time in lieu of let's just throw time or money at it, right? And, and so guide and say, Hey, you know what? Let's not focus on the start date. I know everybody wants to talk about the start date. Let's talk about the finish date and the more yeah. prepared. there's a, that's a great conversation as a guide, but the, the illustration you gave uh, uh, your friend that does the veneers, think about it. He's the guide. Now, what if his, what if his, his marketing pitch was, was Scottsdale's number one veneer uh, provider. Isn't that a different, like, is somebody going, hey, man, what, what, what problem are you trying to solve? I'm trying to solve my problem of the number one. It doesn't feel <laughs> our emotions. And so right. that's a great, a great thing. It's got, it's got a story loop. It's got the person who's, their stakes, you know, it's this insecurity that we all feel when we don't feel good about our appearance. And, you know, how much, how do I do it? How, who has the tools to do it? And then it ends in victory, not for the, not for the. Not for him, for him, the client. For the client. Yeah, and that client, then you said the client at the wedding reception, you know, uh, doing the electric slide, grinning from <laughs> ear to ear. And that's the victory. 
And that's what they want. They're not here to help him reach. Hey, I'm the number two. I'm trying to get to number one. Who oh, cares? I love it, Brady. Electric slide. You know, the funny thing is, so we're, we're going to reschedule session two because I think uh, through our hour here, we got through like three, three points. That's it. Because, you know, there's so much valuable content you shared. And so, um, you know, outside of, uh, of the building side, well, I mean, yeah. So outside the building side, which comes to us, what do you do for fun? I'm a diehard Preds fan. Yossi for Norris. Tanner Janot for Calder, UC Soros for Vesna Trophy. We're going to the playoffs. Sorry, I know the Coyotes. I don't know if you're a big fan, but they're bottom of the barrel this year. They are bottom of the barrel. Uh, I love the Preds. We have a lake house, so you know, hockey year. Uh, I spend time at the lake with family and friends. Those are probably my two uh, two big passions. But I'm a I'm just a huge Preds fan, and you know, watch every game that I can attend, and uh, uh, and I like to spend time at the lake with my wife, kids, and we usually have other families with us. I like to play golf. It's a torturous sport, Brad. It is I don't a torturous sport. It's torturous. I tell people, just don't start because then you won't be able to stop. And it, uh, you know. Uh, and then, then there comes a point like where I am an hour, you forget how to play. And I'm like, I don't even know how yeah. to play anymore. I don't know what happens. So it's just kind of weird. Yeah. But, but, but that's really important, Brad, because one of the things I want to tell your builders, particularly the ones that are a little bit younger let these businesses fund your life. Don't let them be your life. I have two kids in college. My youngest is a junior in high school. I missed so many things. I missed spring breaks. You know, our, our kind of plan when I was uh, younger was my wife would go on vacation with the kids and then I would fly in the day before to drive them back. Guys, organize these businesses, organize your commitments. If your kids aren't in school or it's an important date, be there like 100% of the time. Um, be there 100% of the time. Let your clients know when you start a project. Brad, you have five or six kids? Six. Six kids. Hey, man, I got six kids. So I have baseball. I have football. I have proms. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very engaged parent, you know, um, and just identify some of your boundaries. People honestly respect them. Again, elevate you as a professional. But any of the, you people that go, man, I want to be doing what Brad and Brady are doing and get these bigger projects and more budgets, and I'm going to miss everything in my kids' childhood to get there, don't do it. Don't do it. That's amazing advice. I mean, fun your, your life, not be your life. Fun your life, not be your life. I mean, what a better way to close. So where can our listeners find you? Well, I'm on, you know, social media. I'm on Instagram, Fry Classic Construction. I'm on um, LinkedIn at the, at the insistence of Aaron, you know, but your <laughs> podcast go, man, you're missing out. Get on LinkedIn. So, um, you know, I'm on those. Um, I have a website, fryclassicconstruction.com. Send me a message if you're a young builder, old builder, somebody, anything I said resonated with you and you need a little bit more information. I really do have a passion for helping people. You know, all of us are going to feel some pain in this business. It's kind of the nature of it. But if I can help some people, you know, um, avoid some of the ones that are that I stepped in, you know, I'd be glad I'd be glad to help. I like to see people succeed. I like to see people, you know, build great families, great businesses, take great vacations because they built a great business. And so, um, you know, if there's ever a next career for me, Brad, that's probably what's going to be is somehow trying to help some of these guys um, just, you know, achieve their dreams inside the construction industry. Well, I, I can be a witness to that. I mean, I've, I've known you for quite some time. You've been a great mentor. And, and not only that, I've been, I've seen your product. It's top notch, amazing stuff in Nashville. Brady does an incredible job. So Brady, can't thank you enough, man. You've been amazing. My pleasure, Brad. Glad to be here. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now 
is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.